Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the year was 1998, though it seems like just a few summers ago. I was helping my brother, my sister, and my dad put up rafters in my dad's brand new workshop. And each of us had a job to do. My brother stood on the ridge, grabbing the rafters as they were tipped up and then nailing them into place, into a temporary ridge beam. My dad and my sister used a long two-by-four with a, with a T on the end to tip those rafters up to him, and I was on the ladder um, at the end of one of the rafters, guiding them up to line them up to the ends on the right place, and then nailing them into the top plate. That system had worked for us for many a rafter project over the years. Well, about six rafters in, things stopped going well. My sister and dad tipped that sixth rafter toward my brother, and the other end, 26 feet away from me, slipped a few feet, and it caused the long two-by-four to slip from the peak of the rafter before my brother could grab it. Now, I had believed up to this point in my life that another one of my jobs was for just such a moment. I thought I could simply guide that rafter up to my brother the last three to four feet, and all would be well. But it took precisely half a second for that rafter to disavow me of that notion. Apparently, it's physically impossible to move a rafter from one end. No, no, no. You see, the rafter in that situation moves you. And worse yet, it'll push you right into the ladder that you're standing on, and if you're not careful, it could even break your legs. Now, fortunately, I had the sense to jump from my post before I got too tangled up, but unfortunately, I did not land particularly gracefully. I landed on the concrete slab, feet first, followed closely by my uh, posterior. And I was wearing a tool belt at the time and was severely gouged in that particular area by the claw of my favorite hammer. Well, I should say it used to be my favorite hammer. Now, my dad will tell you that I was not particularly calm in that moment of time. In fact, I was hopping mad. I was mad that though they could let that stupid rafter slip. I was mad that we didn't have the sense to have someone on the other end of the, of the rafter on a ladder. But mostly I think I was mad because I didn't have nearly the power that I thought I had. And if some piece of wood could throw me to the ground like that, what else had power like that over me? The truth is, there's plenty in life that makes us feel quite powerless, isn't there? Diseases are diagnosed, criminals steal and assault, our hearts are broken, jobs are lost, havoc is wreaked, death imposes its will, a tiny invisible virus derails just about everything we love about life, and there we stand feeling powerless thrown to the ground, as it were, by it all. That's how the disciples are feeling 
as the book of Acts begins. Let, let me read here now. Listen now for their feelings of powerlessness as I read from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. So when Jesus and his disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said all this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Elphias, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. So there these disciples stand, with the crucified and now risen Lord Jesus, this one whom they have followed for three years, hoping that he would be the Messiah, the one to save Israel. They were hoping that he was the one to restore their power in that region, to drive out the Roman occupiers and restore the nation of Israel to the same prominence they enjoyed a thousand years earlier when King David sat on the throne. Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel, they ask. And you have to appreciate the question. For us, today, the comparable question is this. Lord, has the time now come when all this coronavirus stuff can be put behind us and we get back to the way life was? Is now the time that following you will give me power over everything I feel so powerless against right now? If we had been there 2,000 years ago, watching Jesus get ready to ascend into heaven and disappear from sight, we, we would have said the same thing. Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom now? Before you go, aren't you going to finish your work? And if not now, when? The disciples' question is our question too. And so as Jesus, is, as Jesus answers them, it should interest us greatly. What does Jesus say? How does Jesus answer their question? It's not for you to know. Which is just a fancy way for Jesus to say, no, (laughs) or at best, not yet. At least not the way that, that we want him to. That the way that the disciples want him to. The disciples are not about to gain power over Rome or over any earthly power for that matter. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He does keep on talking. He says, that's not for you to know, but, but 
you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. As Jesus prepares to ascend, he promises his followers power. It's not the power they want, necessarily, the power over all their problems. But he does promise them power from the Holy Spirit, power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' resurrection, he promises them power over death itself. And now, as he prepares to ascend to the Father, he promises them the Holy Spirit and the power to become witnesses to the whole world. He promises to make them his body on earth, even as he is disappearing from their sight. These powerless, hapless fishermen, tax collectors, general ragtags will become powerful witnesses to God's presence in the world through Jesus Christ. Witnesses to the forgiveness of sins, witnesses to the resurrection of eternal life found in the breaking of the bread, the waters of baptism, the gathering of believers. They didn't have much that would qualify them for such a lofty endeavor, but their faithfulness as witnesses empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit has spread faith in the risen Jesus Christ around the whole globe. Faithfulness, even as that faithfulness was leading to their death. Tradition holds that all but one of these apostles was put to death for their faith, a sign that discipleship really had created no earthly power for any of them, no political power for any of them, but they remained faithful. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, their lives gave witness to the power of God in their lives, power that infected those around them and extended the body of Christ around the globe, thanks be to God. Now those words were spoken 2,000 years ago by Christ. But scripture is a living word, and so I say to all of you that Jesus is speaking these words anew to you today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to be witnesses in Wadena, Wadena County, the state of Minnesota, and to the ends of the earth. It may not be work you feel immensely qualified to do. You look at your life and see how powerless you are over so many facets of your life. Health, relationships, food, money, death itself. But in the same way that Jesus used overwhelmingly underqualified followers all those years ago to be his body, to be his witnesses, he will use you to be witnesses today. Notice Christ's language. You will be my witnesses. It's not a question. It's not an invitation. It is a fact. We who confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be his witnesses. Power-filled witnesses. The question is, what kind of witness will we be? We have some power over our health, but not a lot. When illness and disease strike, the way we carry ourselves 
gives witness to the power of Christ alive in our hearts. We don't have the power to keep our homes free of conflict and disagreement, but the way we carry ourselves in the wake of marriage and family conflict give witness to the power of Christ alive in our hearts. We have little to no power over the financial trends in our world, but the way we give generously gives witness to the power of Christ alive in our hearts. We have no power over the inevitability of death. But the way we face the grief of our death and the death of those we love gives witness to the power of Christ alive in our hearts. The world is watching. This world that so urgently needs the hope that only Christ can give is watching And you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. That the world might see and be drawn into a living faith with this Jesus Christ. I've used this analogy before, but I want to conclude my sermon by using it again now. I want you to imagine the world 2,000 years from now. And your witness and influence on the world will still be alive because you influenced 20 people who each influenced 20 people who each influenced 20 people and so on for 20 generations until your influence has woven its way into the lives of 100 trillion trillion people. Feeling powerful yet? In 2,000 years, the ripple of your witness will have reverberated in 100 trillion, trillion people. For you math geeks, that's 20 to the 20th power, which is 1.05 times 10 to the 26th power. And for you non-math geeks, let's just say that's a lot of people. (laughs) What do you want that influence to be? How will you live your life today in order to be a witness to the power of God in your life? A witness that changes the world, stirs up faith in others. The Holy Spirit will give you power to be that kind of witness. The Holy Spirit will fill you with hope in all things. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be Christ's body. The Holy Spirit will use you to give witness to God in all you do. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.